We have to look at some political fundamentals if we're going to try to understand this. Okay. And why, for example, why comics or why leftists can use the F word in polite company and other people are not allowed even to tell a harmless ethnic joke or to use a word like niggardly, which has nothing, close. nothing to do with the... Uh, any word deriving from black, okay. because of course we're talking about niger in uh, in Latin gives us the word negro, yeah. but also gives us every every deformation of okay. that. Now, we it was close. <laughs> we know there was a, a homosexual uh, bureaucrat in Washington D.C. in the city government yeah. who lost his job for saying that they shouldn't be niggardly about spending money, and and his and when he wow. explained, well, look it up in a dictionary. It has there's no, and the black leaders in D.C. said he should know better because you know we we're not supposed to know etymology or what words mean. Right. He should have known better than to use a word that we could misinterpret. Yeah, sounds kind of That's bad. Bad, actually. Oh, good grief. Well, I'm you just know, saying it good. sounds bad. Well, not in any universe I've ever lived in. Well, George no. Carlin was like that. I mean, he was able to say those kinds of things. Was there... So comedians can uh, Comedians are part of latitude, the... Latitude, I guess. Comedians are the gestures for the ruling class. Okay. To get down to it, you, we were talking... We began by talking about the pig commissars... Oh, yeah, right. ...in Orwell. And the reason that... They are they are the ruling class, so they ad they adopt the language of the ruling class, mm -hmm. and so all animals are equal, but some more equal than others. Yes, and that's the society we live in. Okay, the these people, the ruling class, define language. They tell us what we could say because they tell us what we can think. Mm. So Lenny Bruce and George Carlin right. made Lenny careers out of, out of using the F word and out of using dirty jokes. Now, fortunately, in, in the case of Lenny Bruce, he would also say just about anything. Right. But it gets, the whole situation gets very confusing when you have a dimwit leftist, ultra-leftist like Bill, how does he pronounce his name? Maher? Mayer? Mayer? Ma Mayer? Bill Mayer? I don't know. Oh, it should be Maher. Maher. But, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a mick. Oh, um, okay. Uh, he's been held hostage by the regime all his life. You yeah. can look at his eyes, and he's 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 got the Stockholm syndrome. You right. Know? In other words, uh, I I believe whatever you tell me Just to believe. Me but to now believe. he comes out defending free speech of right wingers like uh, like uh, Laura Ingram okay. because he thinks he's a journalist. I mean, he is somebody who is so signed on to the regime ideology. Well, this is all about controlling the language. You control the people. A people that are too comfortable comfortable in a place of bread and circuses, sitting home watching the sitcoms and whatever is on the sitcoms and what you see and what you hear in music, all the popular thought. It's about diversions and distractions. And I had a quote too, uh, this boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware of them both and all of their degree, but most of all beware of this boy, for on his brow I see that written, which is doom. So ignorance, from A Christmas Carol to Charles Dickens, ignorance is the thing that will be uh, the doom of us all. Ignorance and bigotry are the two primary products being dished out by the American educational system. I see. Now, 
that you've quoted Dickens, a, uh, a far more brilliant and original writer who wrote a little bit after Dickens, Lewis Carroll, okay. uh, the Cambridge mathematician, mathematician. Turned, turned children's story writer. Wow. And through the, the looking children. glass, he introduced, he has this conversation between Humpty Dumpty, the, you know, the sort of egg character, and, <laughs> and Alice. On the wall, I heard about it. And so he uses the word glory in a, in a strange way, and Alice doesn't understand. Right. And I'll quote, she says, I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Hmm. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. Hmm. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master? That's all. Which is to be master? So that is the control of the language. You can't be human virtually without language. It's, right. one, of the, it's one of the things that distinguishes us from the, the highest of our beast competitors. We have a, a creative language which we can be f fanciful, we can be free, but that language gives us freedom and dignity. Mm. Communication, and, super important. Yeah. Reminds me of Tower of Babel, when, what did God do? He just changed all their languages yeah. so they couldn't communicate. They couldn't do anything together. You just all split. By the way, why did way. he do that? Because unified... The human race, as one big community, was wanted to scale the heights of heaven and storm it, and so we've been separated into human communities, both to punish us, because but that's the way we're supposed to be. So what do you say to somebody who says, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I believe in one global universal government uh, with the... Uh, you say, talk to the people in Babel. Right. Well, I don't think a Jew likes to be called a Jew. I think he would consider that, you know, offensive. Yeah, well, that's fairly recent, you know. For example, uh, Ben Hecht, a very once powerful, very popular uh, Jewish writer in, uh, in mm. New York, wrote Front Page with Charles MacArthur. Okay. Uh, I think there have been more movies made out of Front Page than out of any other play. Mm. But Ben Hecht once wrote a book, about a memoir called A Jew in Love. Alfred Kazin wrote a book called New York Jew. So they, but down to the 70s, they didn't object. I was once taken to task for calling Norman Mailer a Jew. And okay. I told this to my friend Rabbi Jacob Neusner, who's the outstanding scholar on the Talmud virtually in the world. Wow. And I told him I'd been corrected for this. And he said, don't be ridiculous. That's preposterous. Why would a Jew not want to be called a Jew? So he, then he asked around his academic colleagues, who were you know, mostly Jewish, and he found out the sad truth. He said, you know, Jews don't want to be called Jews. Well, I don't think you want to be called a honky or whitey or cracker or old curmudgeon. Doesn't <laughs> bother me a bit. Okay. I haven't a drop of shame about being a white Christian European straight male. Okay. By the way, honky is, is black people use honky. It's a bit completely a mis, misapplied. It's really a, should be applied to Central and Eastern Europeans. It either comes from Hungarian or from Bohunk, okay. and that is a, 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 a Czech. So a honky is a Czech or a Hungarian okay. or, a Sl or a Croatian or a, a Serb. Mm. Cracker is very popular in the black community also. That's, that applies to southern poor white farmers. I don't happen to be uh, a poor white farmer, hmm. so you can call me anything you want. You can call me a Martian. I'm not offended. 
the bottom line is that people who are always changing their identity terms yes. are obviously ashamed of who they are. It's like, okay, what, the, originally there was something called a close stool, which is a little cabinet where close you went stool. in and excreted waste material. Oh, okay. And then... Had a little then, moon on the door. Yeah, then somebody invented the flush toilet. Hey, uh, John Crapper. Mr. Crapper, yes. Woohoo! And so, <laughs> so, but then, so that, that, that word quickly got... And so then it became uh, a toilet. I have an Italian friend who always says, i servizi, the services. Dove, devo sono... It's because we don't like to talk about excrement, which right. is the S word. If you don't want to be called a Polack, or you don't want to be called the N word, or, right. or you don't want to be called Negro, or you don't want to be called Jew, yeah. what it means is you fundamentally don't like your identity. And if you're comfortable in your own skin with who you are and who yeah. your people are, even if your people were no account white trash or Italian uh, uh, rum runners, yeah, whatever right. it is, if you're not ashamed of your family and your background, then eh, who cares? Well, call me. You could call me honky any day of the week. Okay, I'll remember that and keep it in my hip pocket. But uh, that all of what you're saying is is not going to happen because of this entire movement, which is mysterious to me, the PC movement. Yeah. Well, you know, PC again. It's it's interesting because I talk to uh, conservatives, white conservatives, white Christian conservatives. Well, okay. why can they can say insulting things about the uh, about us? Mm-hmm. They can make fun of the Catholic Church. They can make fun of Southern fundamentalists. They can make fun of everything. Well, why isn't turnabout fair play? Because there's no fair play here. We are talking about which is to be master. They have defined Mm. themselves as the enlightened ones. As Hillary Clinton would say, people on the right side of history. When you're on the right side of history, it's like saying God is on your side. Mm -hmm. So they can blaspheme all day long. And they can define what is acceptable language and what is unacceptable language because they're defining what is acceptable thought and what is unacceptable thought. Well, uh, the definition of language is coming into play with uh, what they call ebonics. Yeah. This particular uh, segment of people spoke the these abonics in the classroom and came to a place not too many years ago that when these students used this type of language which includes the f-bomb yeah. that they were the teachers were not to be upset with that because that was part of their culture and their language and it was called just part of their culture yeah. the white education establishment was saying black culture is defined by the gangster that may be true to some degree, but moreover, I think it's a rejection of uh, the standard, and yes, whether that's course. a white yeah. standard or whatever. Yeah. You know, the whole Malcolm X thing where he, he rejected the name. Let's suppose you are a uh, poor but not disreputable black family. Okay. You know, you're, you're, the husband uh, works in a garage or something, and the wife is a stay-at-home mom. I was born a poor black child. And, uh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and you're trying to get by. And so you're, you, you've tried to raise your kids properly, and maybe your English isn't perfect, but you correct their bad grammar. You say, don't use the F word, don't do this. I said, no, 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 you can't talk like that. You see, because no. if you talk like that, you're probably going to be dead by the age of 25 because you're going to be a gangbanger. We want you to become a doctor or a lawyer or nice. a businessman or a teacher. We want you to escape the culture of poverty, ignorance, and violence. Well, that sounds reasonable. It is the most decent, the nicest black people whose lives are being ruined by a ruling class that wants to celebrate the gangster 
and celebrate his lifestyle and celebrate his language, the result is very destructive. It's like bilingualism. The mm. one thing we know is if you put uh, Chinese children or uh, Mexican children in a bilingual class, yes. they will do much worse than if they're put into immediate only English immersion. Hmm. I, uh, I was once on a panel in Washington, and I met this uh, Chinese lady. She was, uh, she was ch ethnically Chinese. She'd been born in Vietnam, because a lot of the Vietnamese ruling class was Chinese. Mm -hmm. She grew up proficient in French, because the French had been there. Yeah. French, Chinese, and at least one dialect of Vietnamese. So when Vietnam blew up, she moved to Paris and functioned fine because she had good French. Her brother and their families, they went to California and they learned English. Okay. Yeah. So she decided that, you know, I don't want to live apart from my family. Yeah, okay. The Vietnamese and Chinese tend to be very clannish and very family-oriented. Okay. It's very admirable of them. She took a crash course for six months okay. in English and then flew to California and moved in for a while with her, with her brother, right. who had two children, you know, like roughly uh, 10 and 12. Okay. She said, imagine my astonishment when me, with six months of English, knew more English than these children who had been born in America. Hmm. Why? Because they had been put in bilingual classes from the beginning. She said, this is a monstrosity. Yeah. Of course it's good for them to learn Chinese, of, just as it's good for me when I was growing up to learn French. Sure. But it is monstrous not to teach the children the language of success in the country they're living in. There's overwhelming test evidence to, to show that bilingualism is very bad for the children. In my closet over there, where yeah. I have where I have my large collection of books on right. Mexican and the Im Mexican immigrant experience, all sorts of propaganda stuff put out by like the University of Wisconsin sure. and other universities to basically to try to create an angry immigrant class. Whereas earlier generations of Mexicans ended up getting along very well here and doing very well. Mm -hmm. So we're deliberately trying to create non-soluble minority groups who will cause perpetual grief. Non-soluble, what do you mean non-soluble? Uh, they they're never going to blend in, they yeah, can't. they're not going to be American. Exactly. They're never going to be American. That's, that's, that's the desire. They don't want to blend. And then, and especially if they're economically unsuccessful, they are Democratic Party voters forever. But with consolidated schools, like if you're in New York, you had a school of ten thousand kids, right? You know, and then well, you got you got to have classes in Polynesian, you got to have classes in Tagalog, you got to have classes in everything, and the result is huge amounts of taxpayer money spent on this. All it does is defeat the purpose of education by retarding the integration of these students in, into the mainstream. So you're saying this political correctness where language is sort of controlled by the ruling class separates the different groups. This type of language changing and the abonics and so forth, it keeps people separated. It keeps them in the ghetto and when you then make them sacrosanct and you can't tell an ethnic joke and you yeah. can't read Uncle Remus and you know there there have been uh, proposals to eliminate uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn because they use the n-word. Okay. Now by the way there is no more sympathetic treatment of American blacks than Huckleberry Finn. Well of course. I mean the n-word Jim as we, as we now have to call him is a noble character and an inspiration and we're supposed to say this book is bigotry because the characters talk the way the poor way whites and poor blacks talk.
This ends up causing tremendous hatred and and problems. Yes. And uh, I'm I'm over seventy years old. I've I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in the South almost equal amounts of time. Okay. I've spent time in the Southwest and the Northeast and and the Far West. There has never been a time in my life when ethnic and religious groups and racial groups were so antagonistic as they are now, and when there's so much fear of the other, fear and hatred. But you lived through the 60s. Wasn't wasn't that a time of marches and things like that that went on, and that there was a polarization there? Sure. Uh, but what you're saying is in general, overall. I'm not upset about the idea of polarization as much as I am honestly afraid because when I look at three guys walking down the street yeah. that are black, I'm more concerned. When I look at the Muslim woman in full yeah. garb, I'm more concerned. And so that polarization is not something that's completely overt in my life, but it's in my heart. Yeah, no, and, and it, 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 I'm, it, I'm a changed person it, by it. I noticed in, I eight, in eight years of Barack Obama, things got much more polarized, much more intense. And it's partly because there's this endless drumbeat. Anything you don't have that you want, the reason is because white people have discriminated against you, white people are evil, white people, you know, monopolize the resources, and as long as you keep that drum beat up, then people are going to feel that they've been robbed and cheated of their inheritance. And I I once had somebody tell me, he was a a Mm Mexican-American living in Rockford, and uh, I was giving a speech and he stood up and he made this angry, he says, you have robbed us of all our culture. You have ro-. And I said, what, what are you talking about? Well, we, 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 this used to be our land. I said, you mean Northern Illinois was, was, uh, was Mexican? Yes, everyone knows that. Uh... <laughs> and then he said, and you have robbed us of our Native American language. I said, what language is that? He said, Spanish. I said, you really think Spanish is not a European language? You know, and you wonder, but this is what he learned in these classes. He learned to hate. It gets back into what you said, soft totalitarianism, instead of jackboots and and basically forcing people to do things with guns. Although we see some of that as well. I mean, honestly, you wouldn't pay your taxes unless you knew for sure that yeah. somebody with a gun was going to come and take you. And well, there was a prison. guy named Gordon Call, a farmer in Wisconsin about 30 years ago, who got into a, a dust-up with the, with the uh, IRS, and he and his sons ended up being splattered all over the highway. Ah, oh, jeez. Now, the thing I think of often as a good model okay. is there's a portrait of a multicultural society in C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet, the philologist... It, by the way, it's nice to have a book where the philologist is the hero. I don't know what a philologist is. I, well, I'm a philologist. A student of languages, especially dead language. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, so he's on Mars, and there are like three different intelligent races. They're not even races, they're species. Okay. You know, there are the Sorns, who are tall, and sort of, they look like praying mantises, and they're oh, thoroughly right. intellectual. Then there's a group of them that are sort of engineering experts. And by the way, you see a similar thing in Tolkien. You got the dwarves, the right. elves, the hobbits, the men. Okay. So these are these are not just different races, different species. And then you've got these sort of creative beaver-like characters. They're going for some big meeting, okay. and so they're all sort of putting up at this hotel, and they all have different customs and requirements, and they're all making ethnic jokes about each other. The jokes the, and the joshing and all of that, it diffuses potential tensions. I see. Now, that, I think, is the kind of model 
that we should we should all be able to joke about ourselves, yes. joke about our black friends, sure. joke about our homosexual friends if we have them, and yeah. I do have them. Okay. Uh, if we because if we can't joke, if the other guy's background is sacrosanct and you have to draw a safety zone yeah. around it, then that means we can't penetrate each other's zones and we become alien. When I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout. Okay. I was a rotten Boy Scout because I couldn't. They, they couldn't teach me anything. I oh. already had more woodcraft than the than the scout. Oh, they couldn't teach you anything, not because you didn't want to learn. No, because I, you already I, knew everything. I loved the outdoors, and uh, I had been, I had spent a lot of time hunting and fishing and camping. I'm not surprised at that. And uh, <laughs> so, anyway, and I, I unfortunately I've joined a downtown troop, and, okay. uh, and they were they were just they were you know big city kids, but or little city kids. But anyway. One thing you learned as a Boy Scout, and I realized how, how influential this was on, on generations of Americans, the whole Boy Scout mythology is of the noble red man. Oh. The, the picture on the Boy Scout manual was of there, there's the scouts are sitting around and rising out of the campfire in the background is the great spirit, oh. a divine Indian who teaches you wisdom. Okay. Now, everything okay. you learned in the Boy Scouts, you were taught, this is the woodcraft of the noble red man. Okay. Now, a lot of this is just nonsense. But, of course. Lo- but not all of it. Not all of it. Okay. A lot of it is true. The point is, it taught us that, okay, on the one hand, the Ojibwa living on the reservation may be poor and ignorant and not very clean. On the other hand, he knows something you don't know. He has a culture, he has a way of life from which we can learn. By frankly acknowledging differences and being willing to joke about it yeah. and, and be on, come on easy terms with it, we can learn to get along. By ghettoizing everybody, we're, we're in a state of perpetual Well, war. the reality is, is what you perceived. When I, when I was growing up then, you know, we got a really mm. bad look at uh, Indians because they always wanted to scalp you and so forth. Yeah. And, and it seems to me this idea of PC and what's acceptable and what isn't and you're offended and I, well, how did I even offend you? It's probably going to boil over and create a terrible, like, social mess. Maybe it's got to get worse before we get back to a form of communication that is, that's free and heard by people who are willing to listen and have an understanding that transcends the fear and ignorance like that silent planet. Um, and to me, that sounds like the way uh, to equality. Yeah. In the short run, we're seeing more and more tension in which even to have this conversation, yes. even to raise these questions, is, is to be a bigot. Years ago, I was... I prefer a couple of crackers. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> Thank crackers. Thank you. Years ago, I had I'd written something. I said, you know, America, had, the conversation is so limited. There are some subjects you don't dare even say you can't talk about, such as, such as questions of race. Okay. You know, the, the Wall Street Journal attacked me for saying there are subjects we can't talk about. Well, we all know you can't talk about these things. Right. So today, what is a bigot? A bigot is a normal European male, okay. especially Christian, straight, who doesn't hate himself. <laughs> what I'm suggesting is that the only real alternative to what we've got going yes. um, is this is is a, be, to become familiar, to be free, yes. to be friendly. Because what we're seeing, and we're going to see more of, is an increasingly servile middle class oh, on the boy. one hand, yeah. people like us, and an increasingly hostile and defiant blue-collar class that that they're not going to suffer restraint. Yeah. More and more people, if you if you watch, if you see these YouTube videos yeah. or things on the London Daily Mail, when there are clashes in fast food restaurants, right. when the crackers and the N words get together 
these days, it's likely to produce violence. I agree. Now, by the way, I don't think that this is out of step with what the ruling class wants, mm -hmm. because if blue-collar Americans are fighting with blacks or Hispanics, then the only thing that can bring peace and order is more government, and that's what they want.